Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. Okay, who's ready to hear the Word of God? Yeah, it's our privilege to have um, John Pettifer with us this morning, and uh, he is the apostolic father of this house, and he is spiritual father to our senior pastors, um, Kate and Ali. So we, we have a depth of gratitude for, for John, and uh, it's just so lovely to have him here with us this morning. So please give him a warm welcome. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Always a privilege to come to Rock and uh, a real delight to carry through the, the news that uh, Ali has been sharing and the momentum and growth. Seeing faces I don't know is great and I hope I'll get to know you a little bit better. Um, but all part of a momentum that excites us. There, you know, when the brakes fail, sometimes it's fun. And sometimes it's terrifying, isn't it? But um, so there's a little bit of fear and there's a little bit of excitement. But um, as long as the Lord's got hold of the steering wheel, we'll be okay. So um, a few uh, weeks ago, probably a month or so ago, found myself in um, a conversation. I have numbers of conversations with Christian leaders and uh, we were talking about what was happening in the church, uh, what was happening in the world. And, and I found myself hearing this question, John, what's happening? What's happening in the world? And, uh, and I came to a simple conclusion. It's just my opinion. You don't have to hold it. Uh, that, that kind of got three scenarios. Number one. Putin or that mad bloke in North Korea or some idiot could press the button. And don't say it couldn't happen because everybody said it couldn't happen in 1933. And it happened. And it only takes a few demonized men to put the world in chaos. And then, what do you do with all these nice, bright ideas? Hmm? The second thing that could happen, which should trump and aces as well, is that Jesus comes again. Now, we can say a bit more amen to that, because you think, I'm being a bit gloomy on him there. But we can say, oh, yeah, Jesus comes again. And he's coming again. And the Bible tells us, Plenty of times, and, and uh, it's easier for me now because I'm getting old. And the older you get, the more you think about the Lord coming again. That's, that's just one of the facts of life. So, but you young people, Jesus has promised he's going to come again. And there's going to be one generation that will be alive when he comes again. And there's a bit of me that still would like to be around when he does. But who knows? And then the third thing that I said could happen was that God could bring revival. God could bring revival. 
And, and I thought, well, I can pray about that. I can engage about that. And ended up having a few thoughts, which is, if you want a title this morning, and I'm going to be quite provocative, because this is not a hooray hallelujah message, but the question is, can we, can you prepare for revival? Because hmm. there's an answer that says no. It's what the, what the man's been saying. Uh, it, it's, we can do nothing. It's all about God. But there's another sense in which the word of God engages us and engages God's people in such a way that he gives us prophecy. Why bother giving us prophecy if it's all down to him? Because prophecy is to get us ready for what God is about to do. And the Bible is full of prophecy. And you're a church that are carrying prophecy. And it's not good enough, church, to behave like one of those nodding dogs at the back of your car and just nod away to Ali and not get engaged. There is a challenge of the Holy Spirit that says, as your leadership has prayed and prepared and believes that God is telling them to do something in God, then what are you going to do about it? Now, here's another wet blanket. Church planting will not bring revival. But revival will bring church planting. So get it right. Don't let the tail wag the dog. I believe the man, because he shared it with me, I believe the dreams, the aspirations, the timing, the spirit, the anointing that's upon him is all right in the Holy Ghost. So don't get the idea that I'm not endorsing what you're planning for. I am. But in the context of true, serious preparation to get ourselves that none of us are obstacles to what God wants to do, we've got to understand that revival will bring church planting and anoint it in such a way. The outcome of, 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 of those musings uh, with my friend was that, 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 I, that I dug out um, an old prophecy I got from, some of you will remember, a man called Smith Wigglesworth. And uh, he was a great power evangelist. He was a bit like a wimber of his generation. Fantastic preacher, saw thousands and thousands of people come to Christ, had an anointing to heal the sick, and, uh, and, uh, but he was also a prophet. And in 1947, he prophesied about a move of God coming to the nation. And, and I, I'm not going to read it to you, the whole thing. I've got it here. If anybody you're interested, I'll show it to you later, and I'll tell you where you can find it. But he talks about two moves of the Holy Spirit. This is 1947 that would come. The first move was about the power of the Holy Spirit touching the established churches. And every church, and, and there would be a characteristic of restoration and an openness to the things of the Holy Spirit. He then prophesied that there would be a second move of the Holy Spirit, of which there would be a great 
result of people leaving the historic denominations and forming a new revival uh, kind of church uh, of, of restoration. And, and, and then he said, neither of these moves of God are revival. He said, then there will be a day that comes when the new church phase, the restoration movement, is on the wane. Where its popularity is not as strong as it was. There will be evidence of ch in churches of something that has not been seen before when there is a coming together of those with an emphasis on the word and the Holy Spirit. And that is the beginning of the great move. Now, for somebody of my vintage, those words resonate very strongly with me. I've lived through a renewal in the churches. I've lived through the restoration movement. I've, I've been part of the come out brigade, leave the denominations and form the new. And we've had all these new streams starting in the 1970s right through for 30 odd years. But the momentum has shifted. And I believe we're in the window of something remarkable happening. Now, he, Smith Wigglesworth is not God. But we listen to prophecy. So, can we prepare for revival? Isaiah. Here's 44. He, he, he makes these great statements to, to, to the people of Israel. But now, listen. My God. I, I, you know, I could go off on one. The preaching of the word of God is not to fill a half an hour slot in our services. It's for you to listen. And familiarity breeds contempt. And we've got a freedom to preach, a freedom to... And we can just sit through it. And some of the preaching that you hear, including myself, can be quite boring and monotonous. And we need to get better preaching all the time. So I'm not making an excuse for preachers. But the bottom line is we take notice of what God is saying through his word. Now listen, O Jacob, my servant. And then he goes on uh, and, and he says, I formed you, you're mine. And we'll go back to this in a moment or two. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. One will say, I belong to the Lord. And another will call himself the name of Jacob. And still another will write on his own, the Lord's and will take the name of Israel. Now, I could go off on one about that and the context and the culture. But, but it was speaking to a people... And saying, there's going to be a move of the Holy Spirit of God. What he's saying there is the conclusion of a prophecy that starts in chapter 43. And in chapter 43, and I'll cut into it for time's sake, verse 14. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel... 
For your sake, I will send Babylon and bring down as fugitives the Babylonians in the ships that they took pride in. I am the Lord, the Holy One, Israel's creator, your king. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses and the arm. This is about, obviously, the crossing of the Red Sea. As they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a whip. Forget it. Wow. Forget it. Do not dwell on it. It's the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? You see, he's told them what he's going to do. He spoke into their situation because this prophecy was given to the exiles of Israel. Nebuchadnezzar had come and had ravaged Israel. The temple and Jerusalem had been destroyed. Israel was in captivity. There was only a tens of thousands of them left. They were completely scattered. Some had gone off to Egypt and disobeyed the Lord. Read it all in Jeremiah. And they were there in the most terrible state that Israel had ever been in his existence. And then the word of the Lord comes, I'm going to revive you. And he said, are you ready for it? Number one, prophecy comes in bleak times. I'm always cautious of prophecies that come when we've had a fantastic meeting. And I know the spirit of the Lord and worship releases prophecy. But we've got to understand the issue about prophecy is faith. It's not feelings. You've got to be in a place where you believe the word of the Lord, even if things don't feel any different. And, and, and there they were in Babylon, in captivity. Prophecy challenges our traditions. You see, it was the God, their God of Israel who said, never forget the crossing of the Red Sea. Never forget the covenant I made with you. Never forget the Passover. Never forget. And there's a context in which we never forget and nor should we ever forget. We'll never forget Calvary. Not because it just happened, wonderful though it was, because it's got power today for every one of us in our lives. But in the context of the foundation of their ministry, he says you've got to stop living in the past. If only, if only, if only. Forget the former things. And then thirdly, and this is where I want to focus you for a moment or two, prophecy requires unique vision. In other words, we've got to be able to see which cannot be seen. And he talks to the recipients of the word of God and says, do you see it? Can you not perceive it? The implication is very clear. And here's the challenge, church. All of you can see it if you want to. But not all of you will. That's challenge because we love unity. He's talking to a people and forget the prophetic, forget the word, forget the excitement, forget the adventure. He's saying to a people, are you willing 
to change in order that you can see that what I'm saying comes from God. Hmm. No hallelujah is there, is there? That's the challenge. There's a lovely little narrative with Elisha in two kings, where they're at Dothan, and the Aramean armies are surrounding the little town, and, and, and the, the prophet's servant is pooing his pants. That's what it literally means. I won't get any cruder than that. But, and the prophet says, Lord, open his eyes. You see, the armies of Israel were always there. The hosts of Israel, the angelic, they were always there, but the servant couldn't see it, and the prophet could. And he said, open his eyes. See it into that unseen realm. Seeing what is unseen. So how can we, let's get back to normal, ordinary people, born on Cornell, 1948, in a terraced house, in my grandma's upstairs room, it's now a dentist. Moved into a council house when I was about seven. You know, brought up, went, went to school, did my O-levels, and just got a story to tell of God's goodness. God is faithful. I love Jesus. Just for what he's done for me. But I'm just an ordinary bloke. But it's ordinary people like us. That God prepares and uses for revival. To change the world. That's the purpose of the gospel. And so, what do we do about it? The first thing we've got to do in the language of do you see is to see what God is doing on the earth now. We live in a society where the narrative comes from a godless group of people. They determine what you listen to. They determine, and don't tell me it doesn't affect you. We breathe the air of the world. And I, my job is to encourage the leaders, not only to be a wise counselor and a good pastor to the pastors and encourage them, bring them a little bit of experience, but, but my job is to bring them into a realm where, like we talked, yes, it's troublesome, it could end badly, the Lord could come again and there could be revival. Be conscious of what the Lord is doing in the world. Because the devil wants to control the narrative, but the Lord's in control. I found it fascinating thinking about that, that within a few days I was reading about the, the, um, what was happening in, in America and, and some of the stuff that comes out of America, um, I'm kind of open to. Uh, I don't take it all as gospel, but some of you will have heard of the Asbury revival of how, and I love this, 19 students come to pray. And there's 50,000 meeting 
all over campuses in Kentucky and, and many parts of the United States. And there is a new move of the Holy Spirit in young people. Now, I, I, I'm a hallelujah man for that. But, 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 there's a, but, but Toronto's come and gone. Pensacola's come and gone. Gold dust fluttering out of the ceiling has come and gone. So, so let's, let's just take a little bit of, of saying, Lord, what are you doing? So thank God for what's happening in Asbury. Thank God there's a hunger and thirst for the things of the Spirit in those young people. But, but here's something that, that warms my heart a little bit better. That Christianity is growing faster than the world's population is growing. There are 2.5 billion Christians on the planet at a growth rate of 1.27%. There are 7.7 billion people on the planet and the population growth rate is 1.2%. The world's population is growing annually 1.2%. Christianity is growing 1.2%. Of those 1.2%, those 2.5 billion Pentecostals by 2050, uh, Christians, by 2050, 1 billion of them will be Pentecostals. Charismatic Pentecostal Christianity is growing at 2.26%. That's the reality, what's happening in the world. You're not going to get that from the BBC. You're not going to get it from Sky. You're not going to get it from the Daily Mail. You're not going to get it from your podcast. You're not going to get it from, from Facebook. But this is what's happening in the world. Here's something else for you, for those skeptical people. Atheism has peaked. In 1970, there was 165, 165 million people who confessed to being atheists. In 1970. Today there's 138 million. It's peaked. You can have your David Attenborough's spouting like God himself. About Mother Earth and what we're doing to the planet. And there's a custodianship of the planet that is wise and sensible. But I need you to know the world was created by a loving almighty God. Who knows the beginning from the end. And he's in control. And they may not like it. And they don't understand it. And they won't even be bothered when we do start to grow. But I need you to know there's a force in the earth that is unstoppable. And it's called the church of Jesus Christ. And just if you think I'm getting a little bit carried away. All these figures I've given you are from a secular source. They're not from a Christian organization. They are from a Pew Research Center that does global demographics. The second thing, if we see what God is doing in the earth, and I'm going to briefly go on to this because Ali has covered it great in his presentation. We must see and study what God has promised us. We must, we must have a new excitement, not about new prophecy, but unfulfilled prophecy that is still alive in our hearts. 
Now, prophecy needs to be judged, but it doesn't need to be thrown away because it hasn't happened yet. We've got prophecy that comes out of the word of God doctrinally. Victory is promised. In case you've not noticed, I've read the book from cover to cover. And we win. We win. I, I love novels. And uh, particularly as a little lad, I, 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 I got engrossed into adventures and novels. And I had this fantastic urge as I got into this novel to get to, to read the end chapter before I read the rest of the book to find out if we won. Well, God's kind. I've read the book and we win. And so doctrinally, we believe in God's promises. Locally, I believe every church is founded on prophecy. That's why it's important to seek to God and his spirit rather than just a nice idea about church planting. Church planting is in vogue, and I'm glad it is, but be careful. Because it's God alone, not some great strategy that's going to change the world. But we go back locally to what God has said. What has God said to this church? And, and Ali and Kate are custodians of that, and, and they should and are reminding you consistently that you're living and your ministry is based on the prophetic. And thirdly, personally, has God spoken to you? Have you got bits of your Bible that are underlined? Have you got cards that people sent to you with verses that you, you couldn't find yourself able to throw them away, but they're in some corner? Get them out, rediscover them, dust them down, and pray them into being. There are prophecies over my life. Many of them have been fulfilled. But I'm excited because it means I've got to stick around a bit longer. I've got some prophecies over my life that are yet to be fulfilled. And I'm believing with all my heart that God, the God of the Bible, the God of the churches that I serve is my God. And we believe in the studying and the appreciation of God's promises. Time's nearly gone. The third thing that I want to say is the most important. And Ali's already alluded to it, but I'm going to endorse it really strongly and strongly. We must seek God's presence. You may not go to Ruddington. You can seek God's presence. There might be a million reasons why you can't get involved but there's not an excuse not to seek God's presence. I've studied a bit on revivals. I've not found evidence of one revival that's come from prayer meetings that pray for revival. Not one. And all I hear about is prayer meetings for revival. And I'm not a grumpy old man. I really am not a grumpy old man. In fact, I'm a rebel, just rescued by the grace of Jesus. But revivals consistently come from people who seek God. They seek God. 
I find it very fascinating that after a couple of weeks at Asprey, and they started with a full band, and th there's no comment here about the development of our worship teams and bands. But I find it very fascinating that after a few days of the Spirit of God coming, the musicians laid down their instruments. There was no music, par se. They were all seeking God. Something, something becomes predominant in our lives. And individually, corporately, it's in the hands of a leadership of how you deal with that. Individually, we've got some responsibilities. I love the life of David. Some people call David a schizophrenic. I just think he's ordinary. He has his good days and his bad days. Psalm 139. Stay with me. Psalm 139 gives a wonderful insight about intimacy with God. It starts with David acknowledging that God knows everything about him. He says, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You deserve, and then he says, I can't run away from it. If I go there, you're there. If I go there, you're there. So here's point number one, church. God knows everything about you. God knows everything about me. So stop kidding yourselves. In this, this culture that we live in, where somehow or other you're not allowed to invade my personal space language. And we're particular about respect language. And as long as you don't hurt me, you've got every right to be this, that and the other because that's your personal choice. That's your privacy. It's an insidious, invasive, self Killing lie from the devil. God knows everything about you. So wake up and shake up. You may not want your neighbours to know. You may not want your best friends to know. You certainly don't know what want your pastors to know. But God knows everything about you. The second bit of this journey is that David welcomes God's presence. He says, Lord, I can't run away from you. And it's a bit scary because you know what's going off in my mind about my anger problem. You know what's going off, and this was all David. You know what's going off in my mind that though I'm your anointed king and I'm the shepherd of Israel, I'm a bit of a lad and I like the ladies. And lust is a problem that he had all of his life. And you don't want anybody else to know that you're like that and you're battling with lust. But God knows. And David came to the point where he welcomed God's scrutiny and he says about God's scrutiny of his life, he says, 
It's wonderful. Because you hem me in, I feel that in my brokenness, in my fallenness, in the fact that I don't really morally have the capability to be a leader, and, and, and if everybody knew what I thought and how I've behaved in my past, they'd call me and scream me down as a hypocrite like they do with each other in Parliament today. But he says, I, I know that you've loved me. I know that you knew I was like that before you called me. And, and your love has cancelled out all my sin. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful to know that God knows every bit of my brokenness. And I'm not talking about my past. I'm talking about my present. And he ends the psalm. And the ending of the psalm is that he seeks God's presence. And he says, search me and know me and know my heart and test me and know that my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me. It's not that I know that you know and it's not, I know that you love me, but it's an actual invitation for God to get so close to you. And the searching of the heart finds a heart that searches after him. And I don't know whether that will get revival, but it will cause your faith to rise. It will make you more secure than you've ever been in your life. It will open up your spirit to revelation and you'll see the Bible in a way you've never seen it before. And it will bring renewal in you and your family and your community. And we've got a better chance than ever that we'll take the ark of God to Ruddington. And whether doors open or not, will take the presence of Jesus with us. Uh, my dear friends, I, I'm glad to be a Pentecostal. I'm grateful for my heritage. For I, I've got, if, if, if I went to be with Jesus today, I'd, die, I'd enter heaven grateful for all the good things that had happened. But, but I need you to know that as I've meditated and stirred about what God has said to me and what's going off to my, my spirit that I pray every day that I'll take Jesus with me, that there's a hunger and thirst in me that not only acknowledges he knows everything about me, but that I'm seeking after him because I desperately am aware that the button could go and we could incinerate, that Jesus could come again. But oh God, like Habakkuk said, we have heard of your power. We've heard of your deeds. Renew them. Renew them in our day. And I want to ask you, are you prepared to say, God, count me in. Count me in. It may mean changes. It may be frightening. It may be disturbing. But I will seek your presence. And I'll do my bit to prepare for revival. Amen. Well, I've got to stop because I've gone 12 minutes. That's 12 o'clock.
I mean, God forbid that we go 12 minutes over time. And God forbid that we do. We've got to be better preachers and more succinct. But, but it's just an illustration of letting some priorities go for Jesus. The ball's in your court, but he'd love to hear from you. The SLT would love to engage in conversations. That, that with all the lovely plans that you've got, and this is a great church for planning, and I love it and honor it, and its visual presentation is great. But I urge you with all my heart that we're on the cusp of revival. And it comes from people that see it and perceive it and chase it. God bless.